Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Belonging. Today, I'm so pleased to share with you a conversation I had a few weeks ago with Lisa Oliveira, who is pretty famous on Instagram, was featured in the New York Times. We also grew up in the same town, two years apart, never knew each other, but connected on Instagram, both of us really appreciating the healing nature of each other's shares online. Both of us really trying to navigate the age of loneliness and being people who work online and what does that even mean? And we connected and then we got to connect our voices and have this beautiful conversation. So Lisa Oliveira is a therapist, writer, and human who is passionate about exploring how we can bring more acceptance, compassion, and integration to our lives. She dives into these themes in her client work and also shares regularly on her Instagram account, Lisa Oliveira Therapy, to widen the conversation and connect in different ways. And she has a book coming out next year that she's working on right now. So Lisa and I really do connect on this concept of being lonely. She and I both identify loneliness as a lifelong companion that has really informed our work. And this conversation really weaves together what does it mean to be human in these times and why it's so important to vulnerably share all sides of ourselves, something we talk about doing online and in person. And uh, I really riff on this with her, how the age of perfectionism of the polished, varnished, sort of perfect politician, perfect celebrity is just going away because that's impossible, A. And B, there's just like too many ways to prove that wrong. And so how can we show up imperfectly? How can we apologize, repair harm, grow from our wounds? And how can we really come to accept ourselves and remember that 
when we belong to ourselves, we belong everywhere. And Lisa shares her story, which starts with being abandoned as a baby. And she has a beautiful story about her connection to the land in that moment and how the work she's done her entire life has been about repairing that wound and coming into herself. And now in her therapy work and in her writing, she is trying to help others realize that they can repair that within themselves as well. We talk more about online boundaries, phone and social media addiction. We talk about embracing our humanness, how to work that vulnerability muscle so it gets easier and easier to show up imperfectly to our community and to each other. We talk about the radical act of slowing down and how our worthiness really isn't tied to how much we can do and that that can be in when we cook food and when we eat and how we interact with people that we can slow it all down and remember who we are. She shares her mindfulness practices. We talk about the importance of our body coming into a sense of embodiment. And then in between all of that, we're just getting really real about our own stories and how we're moving through the world imperfectly human. So I loved this conversation. I think there's a lot of good little nuggets to get out of it. And I think you'll find what's meant to resonate for you will. So uh, sit back and relax or drive carefully or whatever you're doing, listening to this podcast, doing dishes, going on a walk, whatever it is, and enjoy this conversation between myself and Lisa Oliveira. seriously can't believe we're both from the same hometown. I know. That does not happen very often. <laughs> I know. Do, do you remember Nave Lanes? Oh, yeah. Nave? Oh, yeah. It's like a vintage memory, but I do remember it. Those were the days. I know. Foods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels like so long ago. I know. Well, here we are. Yeah. Or 30-somethings. <laughs> We made it. Just sharing our hearts on the internet. Mm-hmm. Very <laughs> casual. Yeah, so <laughs> casual. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm just so happy you – I know we've been like mutually adoring each other on the internet, which I'm just not going to make creepy. It's it's not creepy. I think it's – I wish more people were forward with their adoration for other people. In general. Yeah, yeah. Online or in person with strangers, like – Yeah, I think it's beautiful when people are able to reach out and say, you know, like, I really, I see you and I appreciate your work and I resonate with you. It's like, yeah, it's just a special experience. And I feel that way towards so many people. Right, right. I know one of the like fundamental need, human needs is to be seen. So many of us have is to be seen. And Mm -hmm. whether you're introverted or extroverted, like there's various levels of that. And, um, you know, part, I mean, I, I've had friends say they listen to my podcast and follow Instagram because like they can learn the most about me mm-hmm. <laughs> in those spaces. And I've sort of wondered like, what is that for me? And mm-hmm. I think there's something about like speaking into a microphone in my office and like typing something on social media. There's like this permission it gives me. Yeah. I mean, 
I have to, I, sometimes I have to get over like perfectionist tendencies, but now that I'm sort of on the other side of that and I have this practice of just like sharing, mm-hmm. I would find being seen in that way to be so healing for me, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And my practice is definitely more so writing. Yeah. But yeah, even through that practice, just knowing that other people can see part of themselves through anything that I share makes me feel less alone as well. And so it's a very cyclical process of putting yourself out there and then receiving how that sits with other people, which is so fulfilling for the process that you are creating by choosing to show up in that way. Mm -hmm. I'm actually curious because you are a a marriage and family therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are there any sort of like rules or lines for you as far as social media and sharing? Because I think a lot of what you share is so just like resonates with my heart. And I'm, I'm not reading like very, very, like you're not talking about clients, but I'm just curious about if there's like lines or traditional rules for therapists. So as far as social media goes, the ethical code hasn't been formally written yet. I think social media has the same ethical and legal code that we follow in practice with people. But I think that it is shifting and changing. And I think the culture of therapy is shifting and changing a lot. I think therapists are are needing to show up more online because that is where people are looking for support more mm-hmm. now than they ever have in the past. And I also think that people are more and more wanting to know who their therapist is and what they are about and what their views are and you know how they talk about certain themes and how they show up in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I think all of those things can be represented in a small way by how we show up on social media. But I also think that I have chosen to show up not just as a therapist and not just as that one part of my identity, but also from the other parts of me. And while I certainly don't share everything, like there's so much of me in my life that I keep very private, I have found it really nourishing and supportive and connecting to not only give myself permission to be fully human, whether on social media or with clients in ways that are, of course, boundaried, but also to to witness other people doing that and seeing how much it resonates with me and how much of a mirror it is to the importance of just seeing ourselves in one another, whether or not we're a therapist, whether we work at Trader Joe's, whether we are you know, in any career or position, I think being willing to show up as your full self is a gift to other people and ultimately to you. And I've learned a lot about that through social media, which is something I didn't really anticipate, but something that has been really rewarding. Yeah. Same. Mm-hmm. So much same. And I love how you're you're saying like in general and in life, if Mm -hmm. we can just be more authentic and show who we are. And I, I sort of, 
like I'm totally with you. Like the era of like varnished, polished, perfect politicians, perfect whatever. Yeah. Like it's all crumbling. Like we've literally yeah. watched it happen over the last like 10, 20 years. And I'm like all for that. And I also notice within myself, I still have these like internalized systems at play within my own self where I fear appearing vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And yet it's what it's what I crave. Like, can I just be real? Whether it's online or if it's in person with yeah. a beloved friend. And of course, you know, that there's safety there and there's trust. But I, yeah, I guess I'm curious like about that because, because there's – I still – okay, so we're just like in election time right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling – really sad about Warren dropping out of the race. Yeah. And and I really felt, this is like a personal opinion. I, f- I have seen and feel that she was being held to a standard that is like the old way of mm-hmm. needing to be perfect because she's a woman. Yeah. And, and just wanting to scream at the world, like, well, <laughs> that's done. <laughs> that's yeah. done. Yeah. Actually, it's like a beautiful thing to be fallible and to repair harm and to apologize and to grow. And, you know, like we're in a new era where it's actually just like we have to be honest about who we are because it's like all documented. So vulnerability is sort of being teased out of us. But I'm wondering if you have anything more to share about, I guess, that practice of sort of emerging out of that like self-protective, perfectionistic way of being and really work in that vulnerability muscle to make it feel like more and more liberating. Yeah. I love that you brought up systems because I think the systems that we have grown up in are so much of the reason why we have these ideas of perfectionism and people pleasing and showing up, you know, edited and in the way that we think we're supposed to show up. I think that plays out in politics. I think it plays out in therapy. I think it plays out in all of these places that we are seeing people and being seen. And I think being vulnerable and being willing to show up in your full humanity is so scary because of the systems and messages and programming that we have all received for so long. It can feel almost dangerous to slowly unravel from that. And it can feel like you're doing something wrong almost. And I just think about systems of the past that have been dismantled and how the people who did that dismantling needed to be so brave and needed to see that it wasn't working for everyone and choose to show up in a different way. And I think that is so much of what is happening now. We are not only seeing the ways that those systems are still holding people back from feeling safe in being their full selves, but also we're seeing all these people who are actively pushing against those ideas and letting themselves take up the space that they deserve in the world and letting themselves be seen and being willing to mess up and make mistakes and repair those things in front of other people without letting that mean that they're bad or broken. And I think that that process is a very long one and it can feel really isolating because 
it does feel so new still to show up in the world in that way. But I think that the more all of us do it, the more we see that it's okay, the more permission we give ourselves and other people to be that way, which inherently increases our capacity to connect with people and see ourselves in one another and allow not only ourselves to be imperfect and to mess up and to have a lot of learning and unlearning to do, but also to let other people do that too, which I think is such a beautiful way of allowing ourselves and other people's, again, to be fully seen in all of our humanity, even when the systems we live in have sort of fought against that idea for a really long time and in so many different ways. Hmm. Yeah. Your words just now help me have like a deeper understanding of like the privilege in perfectionism and thinking about like people who have been incarcerated, right. you know, or like grew up in systems in neighborhoods in situations where like the pipeline just went to a place where a mistake is made and like redemption is a right is a human right you know mm-hmm. being able to learn and grow and pay it forward and wow that's just like locking into my DNA in a deeper way of like vulnerability and humanness and fallibility is so important for the evolution of our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And it is such a privilege and not everyone has the same amount of safety or capacity to do that without being punished or reprimanded or judged in a different way than like I, as a white woman, for example, does. And so in that sense, I, yeah, I so agree that it is a privilege. And I think that's what makes it vulnerable is because, you know, not everyone has the same capacity to be able to do that. And I think our willingness to explore how how we can use that privilege, not only to benefit ourselves, but to allow other people to be with their own humanity is like such an empowering way to slowly start shifting what that can look like. Mm. Yeah. I grew up really very focused on achievement Mm -hmm. in my household. Like we were talking about college when I was like 12 years old. Like it was like, you got to get into a college, which means you got to get the, do the best grades and you got to make sure you're in algebra by eighth grade and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And, um, it made me very perfection oriented and very fearful of fallibility. And I'm wondering like, what's your story around, around that of like coming into your humanness? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I could talk about that for hours, but I think, you know, so much of it for me came from being adopted and being oh. abandoned when I was born and not knowing anything about my biological family. And so I, Mm. yeah, I came into so many beliefs of I need to make sure everyone likes me. I need to make sure I'm never bad. I need to make sure I don't mess up because if I do those things, it'll be more proof that I am not worthy and that I'm not good enough and that I'm not wanted. Mm. And so because of the meaning that I made of my experiences, I had so much pressure on myself to 
to, yeah, be as perfect as I could possibly be, which really eliminated my ability to to sit with all of my humanity and know that all of it was okay and know that none of it would make me unworthy of love or belonging, which are mm. the things that I think all of us need. Yeah, And I also think that I I didn't have a lot of models for that growing up. I didn't see it in my family. I didn't see it in our culture. There just weren't a lot of people letting the world see who they truly were outside of their specific roles. And so the concept of it being okay to have all these different parts of us just wasn't really something that I witnessed. And so it was really hard to feel that within myself. And I think as I got older and different parts of my brain developed and I was able to have more, you know, discernment and more perspective about things, I started seeing like, oh, when other people show that they have fear and that they worry and that they get things wrong, that is not because something is wrong with them. So that must mean that it's not a sign that something's wrong with me either. And I think that sunk in in so many ways as I, you know, continued my journey. And I think it still sinks in in so many ways as I continue to sort of pull apart the conditioning and programming that I've received for so long. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, it has ebbed and flowed so much. And I think as I have changed my perception of the ways that we show up in the world and the ways that we let ourselves be seen has changed a lot as well. Wow. You've done a lot of deep work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I really see that. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think all of us have it our own ways. And yeah. while we each have our own unique stories and individual experiences, I think you know, so many of us have had to work through stories of not belonging, not being good enough, not feeling worthy of being seen, and all these things that we feel like we're supposed to be, like perfect, likable, pleasing to everyone, can be ways of trying to cope with those beliefs that we have about ourselves. And so as I've untangled those sort of core stories that I've carried, those ways of coping with that belief, like feeling like I need to be perfect, feeling like I need everyone to like me, et cetera. Those things haven't been as necessary because there isn't as much compensation I feel I need to do now that I have unraveled some of these stories that have kept me really small for a long time. Hmm. Yeah, I can really map from your words, needing to be perfect, to be chosen because you have this unchosenness root within your story of being abandoned. Mm -hmm. I are, Is it okay if I ask a little more about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Um, how old were you? Uh, when I was abandoned? Yeah. I, I was a newborn. Okay. And I was found when I was about six hours old in a field right outside of Muir Woods. Oh my gosh. I remember, did you do a post about a tree? I might have. I have about, definitely like, shared about it before. Yeah. I just, I'm recalling, oh my gosh, Samir, what's here in Marin where I am? 
Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just remembering a post where you were, there was like a, maybe it was Mirror Woods itself or for some reason in my story, the story in my head is there's a tree that's really special to you because you were found near it. Maybe not. Oh, I think I have shared that I have, yeah, like this weird connection to nature in that way and to the Redwoods and also to Mirror Beach just because yes, those places, yeah, sort of like held me until I was found. And so they feel so special to me now. Oh, oh I don't think that's weird. I think that's true. <laughs> I think <Yeah>. that's <laughs> right. Like so much of the work of belonging that I do is about like returning to feeling in relationship with nature, with the land. Yeah. So many of us just through like industrialization and capitalism have been separated. And so for you to have that, like on the day of your birth to know that like the earth was your mother, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth and that those, that land, that beach, those trees that were all there held you until you were found. That's beautiful. Yeah. The other day, my husband was like, what if like a coyote or something stood over you until, until people found you? Like, what if, what if like creatures became your friend and protected you? And I was just like that, that could be true. I mean, who knows? But I love that. (laughs) That was just like a tangent about how that sense of connection to nature and to, yeah you know, being an animal and connecting to other creatures has really risen a lot lately. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Because I, something I've been curious about is, is returning to belonging as some, as an adoptee. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've n- literally no experience in that. And, and I talk a lot about connecting to your ancestors, mm-hmm. which is a whole conversation in privilege as well. Yeah. And then when you when you add in adoption, there's particularly for your story, there's like a core wound there of not being chosen. And and so you just you've talked about all the work you're doing. You're talking about the unlearning of stories and taking on new models of belonging. And I'm wondering if there's any more you can share there as someone who's been adopted. Maybe like when, as you're growing up, I'm sort of like picturing you as a girl and then as a teenager, like when you were able to identify like that belongingness wound and and what you've done to sort of nurture that sense of I belong. Yeah, I think that, I think that wound was there for as long as I can remember. I think I just didn't name it as that. But yeah, there was always this sense of where do I belong? Where do I come from? How do I feel rooted in myself if I don't even have access to my full story? And I held that for so long. And I think it wasn't until I did so much healing work and was really seen in the pain of that and was really validated in my experience that I was finally able to recognize that belonging needed to happen inside of me. Mm -hmm. I needed to belong to myself. I needed to claim that. And I needed to live into that inside of myself. And as I did that, you know, my sense of belonging to other places, to other people, to being a human just expanded 
expanded so wildly because I think when you belong to yourself, you belong everywhere. And until we have that sense of belonging within us, we can't even recognize places where we actually do belong, but we are just not able to feel it or allow it or let ourselves experience it. And I think that is actually such a big part of why I have chosen to share part of my story and chosen to do a lot of writing and processing and questioning of of these ideas on social media mm-hmm. is because I think about how many people just might not have access to that kind of reflection or curiosity or understanding in their lives and how even seeing that other people are struggling with the same thing is sort of an inherent way of reminding yourself that you actually do belong. Yeah. Right. I see my pain and your pain, which means I feel permission to liberate myself as I see you doing it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then seeing other people in their joy and in their overcoming and in their claiming of their own sense of belonging and worthiness and goodness is, again, a reminder that we contain that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think especially because we are all inherently connected to one another, it's hard to see that in other people and not, not slowly be able to recognize it in yourself as well. Yes. What an accessible tool you're offering in your modeling. Yeah, it's been it's been really surprisingly intimate and special and connected and I didn't expect that because I think you know, as you talk about a lot, we do live in this age of loneliness and I think yes. social media can 100% amplify and perpetuate that on so many different levels. Yes. And I think I almost think of it as like harm reduction. Like if mm. you if you don't feel a sense of connection or belonging or in relationship to other people, it's it's sort of hard to go from like I don't belong and I'm all by myself to I know that I'm not alone and I have community and I do belong. And I think a lot of people are turning to social media to try and find like the next step towards claiming that for themselves. Mm-hmm. And while social media does not replace or make up for the fact that I think we really need in-person connection and co-regulation and community, I do think it provides a lot of people with just reminders that they can grow to to be able to embrace that for themselves and then find it in their own communities. And I think it can be such a a unique way of giving people the opportunity to move through that process a little bit quicker mm-hmm. than they might be able to without having any access to a lot of this information. Yeah, that's a beautiful ethos to really run a social media account from. And I very much agree because I've had some friends in sort of like healing, coaching, therapeutic spaces 
like leave social media for mental health reasons or they found it toxic or it just wasn't serving. Mm-hmm. And I've really stuck around because I I have found that there are ways right through the noise. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately I feel just so empathetic to this being alive in this age of loneliness for loneliness is just such a companion of mine. Yeah. We're like, we're buds <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's, and yeah. And it's just, and I, I realize the more I share about that, the more connection I feel, but I just, I can, it's like medicine for me and medicine for the folks on the other end. And I, um, I had a guest a while back, Thais Sky, also a therapist. Mm. And she was, had this really opened my eyes when she said, yeah, to be like anti-social media, that's very, or anti-internet for connection is very ableist. Right. Because there are so many people in pain who are sick, who are disabled in some way in their houses. Right now we're in this, you know, Mm COVID-19 thing where everyone's social distancing and self-quarantining and, and it's really a way to connect. And I, I realized that now more than ever, just mm-hmm. coming out of the first trimester of my pregnancy. Yeah. And I I had a rough one. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I my symptoms were so intense that I really wasn't leaving the house and I really wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny at the beginning of the year, Tim and I do goals every year, and mine was to reduce phone t- phone time by mm-hmm. 50%. Yeah. And so I like track my screen time and my screen time tripled. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just decided one day, Thais's words were in my head. And I just, I said, no, this is actually medicine for me right yeah. now because I need connection. I need it. Yeah. And, you know, some days I go to like TikTok and it's, it's numbing, you know, mm-hmm. it's straight up numbing. And some days, you know, I'm watching like a dog with sunglasses dancing and it's awesome. <laughs> it makes totally. me feel really good, you know? Yeah. And you can sort of know, actually, I'd love to know, let's just like transition into that. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know how you, I mean, so much of your work is on Instagram in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you know the line for, I don't know if it's a line or if it's like an air, gray area where you can tell it's sort of like no longer serving others or you. And how you manage that. Yeah. I think such a big key in that is being connected to your body and being mindful and aware of what's happening. Because without those things, it's so easy to numb and to be on it without understanding why you are on it and to be using it in a way that might not actually align with your values or your needs or your desires. And there have certainly been times where I have not been paying attention or listening to myself and I have noticed like, wow, this is making me tired or this is making me, you know, feel like I should be doing this or this or comparison or feeling more isolated. And I think because I have a pretty solid mindfulness practice and because I am pretty connected to my nervous system and to my body and to how I feel. I can very easily sense when I need to take a break, when I need to adjust something, when Mm. something isn't working. And I also think that just maintaining awareness of my why, like why am I sharing this? Why am I going onto this app? Why am I 
connecting with this person? Why am I spending this much time? That is so illuminating. And and another piece I think that has been really supportive is just having so much compassion through that process because I think social media use can be another thing that can create so much shame in us and that we can berate ourselves and criticize ourselves for if we do happen to find ourselves using it to numb or using it in a way that doesn't align with our values or whatever it may be. And so I think having compassion for that instead of shaming ourselves and feeling guilty and feeling like we're bad is such a supportive way of giving ourselves permission to not do that perfectly either. And to be able to pivot when we need to from a place of I'm doing this to take care of myself, not because I'm punishing myself or I think I'm bad or I feel like crap for the way that I've been using this. And I think those are reminders that I write about a lot and that I share about a lot. I do a lot of reminders of you know, paying attention to how you're feeling and noticing your body and getting curious about why you are on your phone without shame, without judgment, without criticism, but just noticing and starting to pay attention to that. And I think, you know, as I practice that a lot myself, it becomes a lot easier to sort of infuse that into my work. And it also changes the way I share information too. Mm. And it changes what I share. You know, I used to share a lot more like practical tools and like things. Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I shared a lot of that for a while and that sort of fit where I was at the time. But as I have felt more like people don't need more information, people don't need to feel like they have more things to fix, people don't need to have more things to add to their list of stuff to do to heal themselves. Like people need reminders of their inherent goodness and ways to do reflection within themselves that feel nourishing. And reminders to connect in a deeper way to their truth and their story and their needs. And so I think, yeah, I think all of those things have really come from just being willing to pay attention and being willing to be honest with myself about my relationship with social media and and treating it like a relationship, which means, you know, it'll ebb and flow. Sometimes it'll feel really nourishing and supportive. And sometimes it might feel like something needs to change in order for it to feel more aligned with where we are. And I think just allowing all of that is a really, yeah, just a really good way to have room to shift and change that relationship as we shift and change within ourselves and as our needs shift and change too. Yeah, really holding like the complexity of that relationship and the nuances within it. I find in our culture, there's such a desire to make it binary, to make it black or white, good or bad. Like our little reptilian brains are like, just tell me if I'm a bad girl or a good girl, you know? And it, yeah. And I, I really, it's helped me. I've done so much work and training in emotional eating, intuitive eating, and mm-hmm. I have I had an eating disorder. And so I really find that treating social media the way I look at food mm-hmm. has really, and it's just everything you just said, but just like substitute the word food, you know? Yeah. And I think about emotional eating, like why? Like slowing down the process. So I hear you are slowing down the process of interacting and engaging and posting, like why? why am I posting this? What am I looking to receive? What am I looking to give? And so instead of being like, I'm eating, 
I'm bad or this is bad food, whatever that means, to to be like, why? Why am I reaching for something creamy right now? Why am I reaching for something savory right now? Like, Mm -hmm. what am I feeling in my body? Where are my emotions at? You know, that curiosity instead of that like judge and jury has really helped me in my relationship with food, you know, and there are good days and bad days. And that has really helped me with relationship with social media. There are good days and there are bad days, you know, and I just want to encourage everyone listening to to infuse that into your life and to really watch where you're looking, you know, to be to like police yourself and and try to make yourself bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's just a trap. That's just a trap that can turn into shame and yeah. fear and and loneliness and and all the things that, you know, we're really working to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And it is so easy to do. Like we're set up to, to feel that way so easily by systems, by the way social media is created to inherently be addictive. Yes. And so when we notice that we have a not so supportive relationship or way of connecting on social media, whether as the way we share or the way we consume, it can so easily become yet another place where we are playing out these beliefs about ourselves or these stories that we have about ourselves that are so perpetuated in so many different ways in so many different places, including on social media. And so I think that point of, yeah, noticing the way that you are relating to yourself in terms of your use of social media or Instagram or whatever it may be, and not going to this place of black or white, good or bad, yes or no, but getting curious so that you can create space around what you might actually need can be so supportive. And and that allows you to get the good parts of it, to get the supportive and nourishing and connecting parts of it without feeling like you are so sucked in that you don't have control and like you are showing up in a way that actually doesn't feel good for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you have like a pretty solid mindfulness practice and you feel like you can easily connect to your nervous system and your emotional body and your body. And would you be willing to share any of your practices with us? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing that has been such a life-changing thing for me is just having a lens of mindfulness beyond any specific practices, I think just approaching ourselves in the world with a lens of curiosity and a lens of trying to understand what's coming up for us without automatically categorizing it or putting it into a story we're telling ourselves or judging it. It just creates so much room to show up more intentionally and some specific practices that really help sort of nourish that way of showing up for myself and in the world have definitely been journaling. I think being willing to sit with yourself and look honestly at what your process is and what's coming up for you is such a good way of seeing where you might need to shift or change things and also to see the things you're doing that are actually working and feeling good for you. Mm -hmm. Another practice is meditation, which doesn't necessarily need to be you know, sitting silently or doing a really formal practice, but even guided meditations, even 10 minutes throughout the, like 
at any random part of your day in the morning, whenever feels good for you. Um, for me, it's the morning. But mm-hmm. that practice is talked about so much because it is so nourishing. And it really puts me back in the seat of my power when I give myself the opportunity to slow down in that way. And I think these things can apply to so many areas of our lives. It can apply to our relationships. It can apply to what we're consuming. It can apply to the way we're eating or the way we are nourishing our bodies. It can apply to the way we do the dishes, right? Like when we can infuse these ways of seeing what we're doing and who we are into our daily lives, it becomes so much easier to lean on them when we need them the most. Mm -hmm. And to know that being mindful and being aware are not things that we will do perfectly and they don't need to be, to be supportive and nourishing and to, to help us show up for ourselves in the world in the way that we, that we want to. Mm. I think the act of slowing down anything is like radical. And literally counterintuitive to what our culture and the systems we live in tells us about our worth. Totally. Totally. That has been such a focus of mine lately is noticing when I have this tendency to fill my time or to avoid sitting with something or to avoid letting myself just be. Mm -hmm. There's an incredible podcast called Hurry Slowly that really focuses on the art of slowing down. And that theme has come up so much lately for myself, for clients, I think for so many people. And like you said, it does go against so much of what we feel we're supposed to do to be good and valuable and successful and worthy. And I think the more we allow ourselves to practice it, the more we can tap into those things in ways that aren't tied to anything that we do Mm -hmm. or any way that we fill our time. And it is so radical. Yeah. There's a personal reflection on that as a being who tends towards rushing. Mm -hmm. That's really still, I feel like a default in my system. Yeah. Again, the, the like medicine of this of being pregnant and and having the symptoms that I had of my first trimester. Mm -hmm. Like I had to, I had to like cut my work output by like 75%. -hmm. There was no choice. My body gave me no choice. Yeah. Yeah. It was like bare minimum, like, I used to check email like 20 times a day and it was like twice a week. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. everything slowed down. Caitlin, who I work with, she supports me. I just like had to get real with her. So for a while I was trying to muscle through. Of course. Guess what? That sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I started like taking naps, which felt like giving mm-hmm. in. Yeah. To be like taken, I was like, oh, then I suck. And I was like, that's interesting that I believe that. <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. really interesting that I'm fighting a nap. Mm-hmm. And the more I just like would get on calls with Caitlin and be like, I can barely do anything. Honestly, if you ask me right now, I'd say I want to quit. I want to quit it all because my, yeah. my body just needs me so bad. And finally, I, I found a new flow. 
I found mm. a new flow, then I'm continuing. Energy's coming back to me, and oh man, the urge to fill the time mm-hmm. is present, but I'm not. And mm. then I have I have a whole new flow of my life, yeah. and everything's getting done that needs to get done. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm still making the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. And resting more and I'm you know I have more care in my life you know for my community and for myself like I'm nourishing mm-hmm. my marriage I'm planning for this baby my I'm just like wait a second what <laughs> like, <laughs> I reduced my workload by 75 percent and everything's fine yeah so there it is right and yeah like what an empowering reminder that these ideas that we have about what we're supposed to be doing are so often just stories that we're telling ourselves based off of stories that we have been told. Yeah. And generations yeah. old stories for, for many, you know, those who yeah. come from working class, this idea of like rugged individualism, the American dream, mm-hmm. like it really can, it's pervasive and it can really cause harm to our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting that in slowing down, you are able to nourish yourself and the things that matter to you more. And a lot of the time, you're also able to get the same amount done, like you said. Well, I'm getting what needs to get done, done. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's like a reorientation to what actually matters. Yeah. And I really have to thank my body for guiding me because my brain was never going to take me there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that you're so rooted in the somatic, in the body. And I'm wondering if you have any embodiment, like how do you connect to your body? Is it breath? Is it movement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, both of those, absolutely. Breath is seen as so simple, but it is so transformative. Yeah. And having a I almost think of everything as a relationship. So yeah, Yeah. having a relationship with my breath is such a way of tapping back into my own sense of power, my sense of control, my sense of presence and implementing awareness and practice and just noticing of that has been so helpful. Orienting is really profound is that when you, you notice like what's in the room and how yeah what you smell and yeah it's really just slowing down enough to pay attention to your surroundings like even to notice how your body feels sitting in the chair and noticing the pressure of your feet on the ground and even naming a few things in the room like that's a light and that's a candle and there's the couch when we do that especially when we enter new places, it's sort of it's sort of like a reminder to our nervous system that, oh, it's okay to be here. Like you're safe here. And that can be so grounding. So that's definitely a practice that I use a lot and that I work on a lot with clients too. And something I've been getting more into lately is intuitive movement, which for a while I was like, I am not going to do that. That is not me. I cannot let go in that way. Vulnerable. Um, yeah. 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 (laughs) And it was such a struggle at first. I felt myself like really trying to control like how I looked and what it felt like. And, you know, over time it's 
starting to become a practice that actually just feels so, yeah, like so grounding and just a reminder of being in tune with my body and letting go of using my brain all the time and really trusting that our bodies know so much when we slow down enough to listen to them and to pay attention to what they're needing and wanting Mm -hmm. and to know that, yeah, they just hold so much wisdom that we are not taught how to access. And that is not easy to do in our, in our culture. That is very much, you know, brain, mind, thinking focused. Yeah. I also have recently embraced intuitive movement. I've always loved dance, but it was like, I do the routine and I, I do like, I do what I'm told. Yeah. I learn it. Yeah. And, there you go. and um, I actually have started following some like, like intuitive movement dancers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, I can't remember a single one of them now, which is not helpful to all of you listeners. But mm-hmm. if I think of them, I'll put them in the show notes. And just, just to watch their, the way they move their bodies, mm-hmm. just like to music to nothing and just see the way they move it inspires it inspires me to do it too because okay i was at i was at this couples intimacy embodiment workshop mm-hmm. over valentine's weekend with tim mm-hmm. and we were like babies thrown in the deep end <laughs> we were like <laughs> we want to do this we don't know it's a lot of breath work which <laughs> was truly transformative and then uh all the women it was with john wineland just so oh, yeah yeah it was I just highly recommend. So they separated the practitioners based on the, if they wanted to align with masculine energy or feminine energy. And so I wanted to align with feminine energy. And so I was put in a room with uh, everyone, the feminine practitioners, and we closed our eyes and we laid on the ground and they would just play music and then we would breathe. And then it was like, just move your hips, just move your hips Mm. and keep your eyes closed because then your brain's not in it. Mm and I. I was moving my hips and within five minutes I was sobbing mm-hmm. just from unlocking my hips in a, like a like sort of like a snake-like S formation or like a figure eight. Mm-hmm. And I just realized, oh, my body has wanted this for so long. Yeah. So that's the practice I, I really want. And I'm like intending to you and to all the listeners and to myself and to the oak trees outside my window that mm-hmm. that is something I want more of especially as I grow this baby in me is to really be in, be in my body and move her intuitively. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And also I think such a radical act to, yes. <laughs> to claim your body in that way and especially to as a move woman. in a way, right, exactly. Like to move in a way that feels pleasurable and nourishing and in a way that is just for you. And in a way that doesn't have to conform to, you know, what we're told we're supposed to look like or what we're told movement should look like. But yeah, to connect to yourself in that way is so empowering. Yeah. Marley Grace. Um, oh, she's one of them for yeah, sure. I think her, her, I think her handle is called personal practice. Yes. She's, she's like the top one. Yeah. And Elizabeth D'Alto also yes a lot of really cool um embodiment practices yeah i think it's called wild soul movement mm-hmm. her, her work 
Yeah. When I see her videos, I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to do that. <laughs> Let me put it on my list of to-dos. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for joining me and just, you know, we- weaving and wandering this conversation with me. I I really appreciate your being so candid mm-hmm. and so generous with your knowledge and I just want to say, like, thank you for being a therapist because mm-hmm. therapy is the best. It's so, <laughs> so helpful and so beautiful. And thank you for being a therapist who models growth alongside your work. Oh. I appreciate all that you do. Thank you. Thank you for that reflection. And thank you for this conversation. It's been so sweet to connect with you and yeah, your work and your voice and the things that you are bringing back to our public knowledge that are so often forgotten is so inspiring. And I know that I personally am so inspired by your commitment to us reconnecting to our own nature and to our own lineage and to our own roots. Yeah, your voice is just so needed. And I'm so grateful that I get to learn and grow with you. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> of course. Feels good to compliment each other, right? Feels so I know. good. I know. It's funny how there can be some resistance to that, but that's a practice that I've been doing is just saying thank you and yeah, sharing honest reflections. Yeah. I, for me, it's thank yous and I'm sorry's. Mm-hmm. Just letting them flow. Yeah. 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 Well, all right. People can find you, Lisa Oliveira Therapy. Mm-hmm. and on Instagram, yeah. Yeah, those are those are the places that I tend to show up the most. Cool. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.